Welcome to the Underwater Sunshine Podcast. I am your host, Adam Duritz, and I'm here with the great, the literate, a man of washing verbiage. <laughs> James Campion. The H is not only silent, it's not in the word campion. So No, there, there's no there's no H in Campion. The H is not only silent but invisible. It doesn't it's invisible. It's an invisible H in Campion. Indi- and there's no E at the end. Yes. Yeah. How are you, Mr. Uh, D? I am good. Oh, champion. I see where you're going now. <laughs> Sorry, I just thought it was a silent, invisible, non-existent. Nah, Who cares? Champion, yes, I yes. see. Adam and I were talking about... Uh, Stop. He was cranking out his lit major uh, <laughs> and uh, lecturing me on all things of the kings before we began. So, very good. So It's the Queen's English these days, you know. It is indeed. Um, in any case... So, uh, how are you? How was your Christmas? Cooked yourself into a... Stupor. I, I was so tired afterwards. I realized that like four. Oh yeah, this is too far away. I realized that four days of cooking like that. We cooked for about twenty five people over here on Christmas Eve. We have this big dinner with a bunch of friends, and man, I just like my back hurt by the end of it. Got to do some core work. Clearly, got to do some core work because standing up for four days cooking just wrecked me. I was exhausted, um, but it was really fun. It was nice to see everybody. I, I really. You know, I lived a lot of my life in houses full of friends, full of people. My A lot of my friends lived with me when I was a kid at my parents' house at one time or another. Uh, and when I lived in Hollywood, well, when I lived in Berkeley in my own place, there were a bunch of us living there. The band rehearsed there. Uh, in Hollywood, we had tons of people living at that house, enough so that they made movies about it. Yeah. Uh, and... Uh, I do love the big groups of people that come for that came for the Outlaw Roadshow and that come for Underwater Sunshine. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a pleasure. I love having people around. That was one of my favorite things about what Ryan and I used to do was having everybody here. Uh, Ryan staying for a week and uh, all the people. Uh, you know, it's what I loved about the Outlaw Roadshow. It's what I still love about Underwater Sunshine. Um, but Christmas Eve was. You know, twenty-five people. It was it was very cool though. It was a great night. Uh, what have you been doing? Now you you usually have a more uh, vegetable a vegetable. <laughs> you, you have you have vegetable slanted holiday meals, which which leads you to Mexico often for, during for Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving. You escape the country, right? It's whereas my wife calls it Turkey Slaughter Day. Uh, so we do escape the country for that. We, um, my wife made her famous, and I wish, unlike you and Immer and almost anyone that I know, who seem to go through all the, the ingredients and know every ingredient, I have no idea how Aaron makes vegan stuffed shells, but they are so good, man. They're scary good. She, she, you know, there's tofu involved, obviously, uh, for the uh, regatta or the, the ricotta cheese, yeah. and uh, there's spinach in there. Of course, the shells and then the sauce, but it's it's spectacular. So she made that, which I was for very Christmas grateful. Eve or for Christmas, Christmas or... Day. Our yeah. Christmas Eve is right. we exchange gifts on Christmas Eve. So we do what we do for Christmas Eve. We go to we see a show on Broadway. Since Scott was born, we take well when she was old enough, like three or four, we took her to like the Christmas show at Radio City. Then the next year we saw like The Grinch. They staged oh, like that's a, great. Yeah. Uh, the year after that they did like a live version of Elf, and then we got away from the Christmas theme ones and we saw. Uh, a few plays um, over the years. This year we went to see Aladdin. How Last year it? we saw the Aladdin. Have you ever seen Aladdin? No, no not the play. The it's movie, very of good. Course. I've never seen the film, so it was new to me. That's a great movie. I got, I'm going to have to watch it now. 
Uh, and I know Robin Williams is brilliant in it, and he pretty much, you know, uh, ad-libbed the whole thing. And Unless I'm mistaken, character. also, isn't that the one where Gilbert Gottfried plays the parrot and is magnificent as the screaming parrot? No, well, that wasn't in the play, so. Yeah, or the musical. We did see last year, which ended up being like the musical of the year, we saw the SpongeBob show. Before, it was like in previews. It was in November. No, was it? Oh, no, it was Christmas Eve, so I know it must have been out. It was, that was really great. So that's what we do, and then we go see the tree, and we get some Ethiopian food or Indian or something nice down here. I saw a picture on Instagram of you eating Ethiopian food. I was there. I just took a picture of my daughter right, and my right. wife. But, um, I yeah. figured you were there. That's yes, right. I'm the photographer. You're not actually in the picture. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> Pretty much. Um, and um, we always get the, the vegetable. Sometimes I'll get the chicken tibs, but it just takes longer and then they have to wait for the vegetable. The vegetables come out quicker and we were all yeah. starving because normally the show, man, I'm getting into the depth of this. The show is, you, shows are usually at two, right? But because Mondays are normally dark in Broadway, a lot of shows weren't playing and Christmas Eve was on a Monday. So I had slim picks and this show started at one. So it's hard for me to get down like a lot of the places we like to go open at noon and you gotta throw food down then try to get to the show. You know, it's a big pain in the ass. So we eat afterwards and then we come back and we take a ride around our neighborhood. I have a very small neighborhood. I live up in the mountains. So we have like a, uh, where I live is sort of a lake community. There's a giant lake across the street from my house. And then the rest of the, the community is back. So we don't see them. <laughs> Just my neighbor and I have two neighbors on either side. And then the rest of the neighborhood is deep in. And so we rarely ever drive through there because there's no reason. It's not a through street. You can pump, you know, drive into my house, get back on the main road. So on Christmas Eve, we go drive through the neighborhood to see everybody's decorations. And it's kind of neat because it's pitch black by me. There's no street lights. So when you drive down and you see people's crazy decor, And I said to my wife, these people live like way in the woods. No one is really going to see it but them. That is true dedication to the spirit of – they're not trying to show off. No, they're just decorating for Christmas. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. a real thing there. So then we get back and we exchange gifts and, and get drunk on champagne and then get up in the morning all hungover and Scarlett gets her gifts from Santa. And uh, that's pretty much... But the more campion Christmas. That seems nice. It is. We did nothing on, on Christmas Day because I don't have family around. So Thanksgiving is not Turkey Slaughter Day for us. <laughs> well, we celebrate Turkey Slaughter Day on the Tuesday, and then we have Thanksgiving on the Thursday. <laughs> oh, I see. Because you have to get them on Tuesday. Uh, and then uh, Very good. And they're fresh. So. <laughs> no, I found this place. I was, I, you know, I'm always reading about food stuff all the time. And so uh, I read a few years ago about this place called uh, La Para Brothers Poultry in Brooklyn, where they it is all fresh killed right there. They don't you don't they don't get anything shipped in from anything else. So they have everything live there, and it is it really? is fresh. So when so you, you get it Tuesday, pick it's, it. It's killed Tuesday morning. So like I when I called them like to make sure I had the turkeys reserved like for Thanksgiving. Oh, so you've done that? Oh, many times. That's where I get oh, all so my that, stuff oh, so from. So you're right. I, I, for some weird reason, I thought you were joking, but this is an actual thing. No, I mean I was joking, but this is an actual <laughs> thing. La Pera Brothers, there, it's absolutely fresh. They do everything that day. So like when wow. I call them to reserve the stuff, you know, a few weeks ahead, and I asked if I could pay, and he's like, "No, nah, you can't pay right now." Uh, which call me that morning because I won't know until we kill it what what the weight is. You know, I was like, right. oh, "Okay, no problem." So. Yeah, they're, they're but I have to say it's spectacular. I mean, this won't apply to you because you don't eat the stuff. I just don't eat. But let me just but go but for on. For other record. people, I, I would say this place in Brooklyn. I, I not to be, we don't usually plug things on here, but I will say the La Pera <laughs> Brothers delivers me insane, great turkeys and whatever you know, chickens occasionally. Uh, you do have to do a little extra work sometimes because you got to make sure they may not have gotten every feather. 
So I, I had to take wow. some time with some pliers and get the last of the feathers out, um, <laughs> which is a hassle. It's a pain in the ass. But it's not. A, it didn't take very long. You know, like another twenty minutes of stuff. With it. With it. I had a needle nose pliers, and I'm sitting there pulling feathers very, out. Very appetizing. Uh, what well, feathers? What say, do you think you're eating? It's I'll, not. It, that's how you know you're not eating a small cow. I, that is very true. <laughs> they don't have feathers. Now, now, a, just to go on record, I do eat chicken, and I do have shrimp, and I will eat any kind of fish, most fish. So, um, well, I don't. If you eat, ever get a shrimp and you find yourself having to pull some extra <laughs> feathers out. No, you're pulling Beware. other things out of the <laughs> But uh, yeah, so so, but turkeys I stopped eating because we. I think I've mentioned this before on the podcast, or maybe you, you and had I talked. The pet turkeys. We have the wild turkeys that come yeah. into my neighborhood, and I'm they're literally pet. I mean, we see them when they're small. We feed them. They get big. We see them. It's and they come up to us. It just I don't know. It just broke. I always loved turkey, but it just broke my heart, and I just said I, I don't think I can eat turkeys. Anymore. Turkeys will drown when it's. Is this true that turkeys will drown in the rain occasionally because they just like. Tilt their head back to drink and then just sit there until they drown. I, they don't really seem like particularly bright animals. Yeah, who knows? But I'm not, compared to other, like my wife will tell you that pigs apparently are smarter than dogs. Yeah, they'll have the problem. I think people have pet pigs. It's a problem. They'll they'll figure out how to open doors and things. Yeah, yeah. Which uh, a smarter animal is not necessarily a better pet. No, it can make them more more of a problem. I I would agree with that. Like humans. Uh, humans yeah, you are, know you don't want. That's why you don't keep humans as pets. No, you really can't. No. It's very hard, especially around the holidays. And we just like we brought it all the way back. Going to have to cut this. But I <laughs> know <laughs> I think this is great. So I'm um, very. I hope everybody had a, a great holiday. Uh, enjoyed our fuck Christmas song, and uh, we're actually taping this before New Year's. Um, but they'll be hearing this uh, after the New Year. So we'll be starting. This is technically starting our second year of this foray. I enjoyed it. I hope everyone else did. And and, and by the way, um, we'll get to this later. But I saw Stephen Kellogg last night and uh, at Daryl's place. Which is uh, Daryl's house, uh, which is I was telling Adam, sort of a themed place not far from where uh, the show Daryl's house, uh, Daryl Hall of Hall and Oates had a house, and he 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 built a studio in it, and they would have guests up there. You know, Smokey Robinson was on the show. I think uh, Rob Rob Thomas came. It was a and um, they do like one Hall and Oates song or one song by him, then he does their song anyway. So they they built this, uh, and I guess he must have, be an owner of it because there's pictures of him everywhere. They play snippets of the shows on screens all around the. Uh, and it's beautifully made. It's like a studio. The speakers all over. It's all wood. And Stephen Kellogg played last night. I hadn't seen Stephen because of tacky, Turkey Slaughter Day. I was in Mexico. Tacky, slaughter. tacky Turkey Slaughter tacky. Day. Tacky. It was very tacky. Uh, and um, yeah. And uh, so I was really, I really wanted to see him on this tour because I love this record. And when I interviewed him a couple of weeks ago, he said, "You know, this is the way I think we needed to do this. A because these songs are very personal." And it's, I need the intimacy of playing them and people hearing the lyrics. And also because Eric Donnelly, who plays with him, was a, very instrumental in writing half the material, if not more. He was in the studio. He was, his, he was his brethren throughout the whole thing. He was the guy that Stephen told me, came to him and said, you got to make a record. you got to get off your ass, to quote Stephen, and get, and get a record together. And, and he, he said, Stephen told me he sent him like 60 songs, and they paired through what they thought was the good stuff. Anyway, uh, he was great. And I know you mentioned it on a previous podcast. Just great last night. He's an excellent storyteller. And the, the songs tell their own stories. And, and you know how much I love a lot of the personal songs on that record. And they really came through last night. Really came through. He was great. That's yeah. cool. Um, you know, I wanted to get into this. This actually makes sense because Stephen was someone who showed up a lot on uh, Awesome Fuck Yeah Radio over the years. Which is my... Uh, Yes, your um, my station. Pandora station. One of my two Pandora stations. The other one is called Bitch and Big Stars and Guitars. And guitars, right? Um, 
And it, there was a time when uh, Awesome Fuck Yeah Radio was a much more acoustic-based station. And so over the years, as things go by that I don't know, I click pictures of them, I save them in a file of my photos of like music stuff, pictures from Pandora, and uh, it's introduced me to a lot of music over the years. And so, and some of which we play a lot, some of which we played on this thing. We started off with Gregory Allen Isaacov, which I definitely learned from uh, my station. Um, and I'm going to figure out how to make the station public so people can use it, but I don't know how to do it yet. I'll figure it out. Hmm. Maybe I'll do it this week so that it can be there. Um, but I wanted to kind of go through and play some stuff that I that we've never gotten around to playing, like people that I've discovered just from listening on there. Just a lot of like clean out the cupboard in a way of some great songs and bands that I sort of heard and had never heard other places, but that popped up on Awesome Fuck Yeah Radio. I thought we'd have an Awesome Fuck Yeah uh, podcast or two. Sure. I don't know. Um, and, you know... Yeah, I want to start off with this one band because it turned out he, the guy, uh, John Sampson, who had a band called Propaganda uh, up in Winnipeg, started another band called The Weaker Thans. Um, and it turns out he's friends with Sam Osland, who is uh, one of my, uh, who's my stage manager for, uh, and been a crew member of ours for years. Oh, right. Uh, and we had a, a, a segment of our crew was Winnipeg based for a mm. while and Sam still is uh, and I asked him about this band because they have this song and as you hear the song you'll understand why I asked Sam about the band he goes oh yeah I know those guys they're friends of mine they recorded at the studio you know so uh, John Sampson was in a band called Propagandi for a while which was a, a kind of a hardcore band I think um, and, and one of the things that was interesting and through a lot of these I a lot of the bands, there are a lot of ba- people playing acoustic music nowadays who came out of much louder bands and just decided to do something different. But this is a band called The Weaker Thans, and this is a song called One Great City. Uh, it's about 10 years old now, uh, but take The Weaker Thans. Afternoon, another day is nearly done. A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one. A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground. That hollow, hurried sound of feet on polished floor. And in the dollar store The clerk is closing up And counting loonies trying not to say I hate Winnipeg The driver checks the mirror seven minutes late The crowded rider's restlessness enunciates Guess who sucked? The jets were lousy anyway. The same route every day, and in the turning lane, someone stalled again. He's talking to himself, and here's the price of gas. Repeat his phrase: I hate Winnipeg. 
up above us all, leaning into sky. A golden business boy will watch the North End die and sing, "I love this town." Then let his arcing wrecking ball proclaim. Winnipeg. Fantastic song. That's laugh out loud. Great. So great. When he first said, when he, I saw it coming because I had the lyrics. <laughs> I hate Winnipeg, but when he says, <laughs> "Guess who sucked." Which they did not, but, but they are the quintessential Canadian band. You know what's funny about the Guess Who? I, well, we'll go on with this song because it was great. I love this song. Um, they were uh, they were produced later on in the late sixties, early seventies by Jack Richardson, who ran Nimbus Nine Productions up there. Who and he had a lot of disciples. One of them was Bob Ezrin, who told me all about the origins of that. And the the Guess Who and Jack R- Richardson were very. Important. Remember when we did the punk thing in the whole Detroit sound because of the music that was going through in the upper Midwest of the United States was being affected what was coming out of, of Canada. And Jack Richardson and Nimbus Nine was a huge part of that. And all these bands like Alice Cooper and, and like uh, the original um, uh, the Stooges, they wanted Jack Richardson to reproduce their stuff because they loved the balls of the, of the Guess Who. This is something that I never learned until I wrote the Destroyer book. Is that wow. how important the Guess Who were to hard rock music in the seventies? Well, and the Guess Who, uh, a contingent of the Guess Who becomes Bachman Turner Overdrive because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Randy Bachman is in the Guess Who, which is you know the original heavy kind of like pop, but heavy rock and roll pop, you know band. Sure, um, you ain't seen nothing yet. Wait, and they also did American Woman, which a lot of people ended up playing in a very rocking way. Well, it is late. a very rocking song. It is. Even there. Yeah. I, I always loved the Guess Who because they had one of my favorite lead singers, uh, Burton Cummings Jr. Which is this is what I told you about about when I was a kid Sped having those, those forty five listen to uh, listen to the records at forty five instead of instead of thirty three. <laughs> I love you that. know. Maybe I'll be there to share the <laughs> we'll be giving away when we all live together. I can't do talking it. about together now. I'll never forget that. And they made a lot of great pop songs that were oh, really man. really well produced. Those those songs are really well made. It doesn't surprise me to hear you say that. What I love about this song... And because the Guess Who... And by the way, in this song, by, by mentioning the Guess Who, even though I'm sure these guys don't think the Guess Who sucked, but it's just like, it was me growing up in Freehold, Bruce Springsteen this, Bruce Springsteen that, Bruce Springsteen this, Bruce, you know, it, you're inundated if you're in Canada with the history of the Guess Who, and if you're a musician, you know who the Guess Who are. They are a huge part of the Canadian... Uh, well, I think they might also music. be saying, you know, they're probably still playing in some version or another. Mm-hmm. You know, that they, you know... Oh, I don't know. You know, the things that, they, things that, that they've lost, though... The, the oh, guess who, yeah. or, or they're gone, you know. And the at, for a long, don't forget the Jets just came back to Winnipeg two or three years ago, but they were gone for a long time. Right, they left and became not the Dallas Stars. They became what team did the Jets become? Uh, did they become Colorado or something? They might have become the Avalanche. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, we're talking about a hockey team, the Winnipeg Jets, which he says the guess who sucked. The Jets were lousy anyway. But I love left. what a slice of life this song is. Late afternoon, another day is nearly done. A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one. That plane up there, because the, the, you know, Winnipeg is not way, way, way far north, but it's on this great plane. You know, the, the plane, it's a northern version of the middle of America plains, you know? Right. And because it's, it's 
farther north and colder and is a plain like that, it is not protected by anything. And so the wind comes down from the north and like Winnipeg gets buried in snow early and it just stays that way for a long time. Sam always told me about this, you know, the, the plows that plow the town. Uh, they, they plow it all to this one lot where there ends up being this mountain of snow. I mean, a, a mountain <laughs> like a because they mountain. plow all the snow from the city to this one place. And it, it never really thaws. Like yeah, it, a, a certain amount of it does. Well, you know, in a parking lot, if they put it up and it's 10, 12, 15 feet, if you get a big, that'll stay till April here. Yeah, but can you imagine it it's like 100 feet high? I think there it just stays permanently because, yeah, it, it is just like a huge mountain of snow, you know, and, and it, you get really, the wind is bitter and it gets very, very cold. And it probably is a lot of, you know, cabin fever. A darker gray is breaking through a lighter one. You know, but it's all gray. A thousand sharpened elbows in the underground, the hurried sound, feet on polished floor. You know, that reminds me of a subway. This could be about any city. You know, people always say they live in the city. There's things they hate about it, even though they love it, like New York or Los Angeles. There's always the thing in Los Angeles. It's being stuck in freeway traffic in New York. It's people being rude on the subway. All those different in Chicago, the bitter winds when you walk out of a store. Oh, my God, you want to die. But here I think it's that they're stuck inside this whole amount that you are stuck in the underground. You don't have like Minneapolis is, but further north, (laughs) Um, you know, and uh, right. I, I really love the just that the the same route every day, and in the turning lane, someone stalled again. He's talking to himself, and here's the price of gas. Repeat his phrase: "I hate Winnipeg." <laughs> you know, but the end one too. And up above us all, leaning into sky, our golden business boy will watch the North End die and sing, "I love this town." Then let his arcing wrecking ball proclaim, I hate Winnipeg. <laughs> I'm going to knock it down. You know, I will say, the, the other great humor of this song, the conceit in a way, is the fact that he didn't name it, I hate Winnipeg. That would have been the giveaway. He names it one great city yeah. with an exclamation point, And it's got, you know, uh, but then the, the real refrain of the song is, I hate Winnipeg. And I also love the name of the band is the weaker thens is all one word. Yeah. It's like hanging around. You're hanging around. It's like all one word. I love that. It's very clever. Yeah, I really dig that song. I love that. I like. I'm. I'm more interested to learn more about that band. I was really happy to have that uh, delivered to me by the awesome fuck yeah. Did that pop up this past week? Because I know you no, it's to a popped lot up many cooked. times over the years. Oh, so I've yeah. been holding on to it for a while. Cool. Um, All right, what do you got? Uh, let's see. I want to play this band, the Paper Kites. The I'll paper start with a song about them, and then we'll talk about them a little more because. Uh, Quite a few of their songs popped up. This is from one of their like their, their second EP. They, they started off the career with just a couple EPs while they were developing. Uh, one called Woodland and one called uh, Paint. And this is a uh, much one to play. This is Paint from, I'm sorry, the second EP was called Young North. This is, this is Paint from Young North. It's about four or five years ago. The Paper Kites. <laughs> We're trying, we're trying no more It's cold on the floor, it's cold on the floor This house has never been the same as before It's never felt warm, never felt warm There's something moving through the windows and walls I've seen it before, I've seen it before You left me living with a lingering soul How little you know, how little you know We're standing at the foot of the path 
Bad to go back, bad to go back. I chose to travel as a lonely man. So much that I like, so much that I like. I'm always wishing I was walking that road. Something I hope, something I hope. I take it with me all the places I go. How little you know, how little you know. song the, the whole construction of it really knocks me out yeah it has a little bit of a foreign field sound to it um vocally yeah, it i love does, his sure. voice it's very I like that melody too yes they're they're a melbourne band they're australian um mm. i think they're really cool though i, I love that uh they're just a duo uh, two guys uh or sam bentley and, and christina lacy is the woman who plays with them uh, and I guess they they had been together forever as a duo, and then they put a band around themselves. Uh. Yeah, that's a Bentley song I see here. I love how the end it ends with um, I paint the ceiling so nobody knows. I cover it slow, cover it slow. It's like you've never even met me before. How little I show, little I show. So the whole song he's kind of explaining himself, and and at the end he's you know he's saying that he doesn't normally do that. He's because the, the the title of the song is Paint. Unlike the last song where they didn't really tell you this is a song about people I hate Winnipeg. Um, uh, th- there was an irony there. There's none here, but but he finally gets to the title of the song, the the basis of what he's writing about at the very very end, which I I like a lot. It reminds me very much of the way Dylan would do that. He would finally at the end, you're like, oh, I see. 
it's a guy on a desert island. You know what I mean? You go through these Dylan songs, and at the end, it kind of get you you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. We've talked about that on this podcast. But I just finished reading this book on the making of um, Blonde on Blonde, and uh, on that record in particular, Dylan puts little roadmaps to get to where he's going to. And that's what it seems like, on the, lyrically at least, on this song. I, I like how at the very end, he kind of, that's the paint. The paint is he's covering up for not showing himself completely. It's a really beautiful lyric. I want to play another song by them. They, uh, it's from their first. Well, I think this was an EP on its own, but it, it's an, it's a bonus track on their, uh, on their first EP, Woodland, and it's called Bloom, and it, it just, it's one of the other ones. Both of these, uh, for a band I'd never heard of, two or three of their songs popped up, on, uh, on the radio station and. This is one of the other ones that popped up a lot. Paint came up the most. Does she take the lead sometimes, or? Uh, yeah, I believe. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head. They sing a lot together, which I think this song has a lot of that. Check this out. This is the paper cuts again from the Woodland EP, Bloom. <laughs> Close to you 
I'm going to pay these guys the highest compliment. That is Paul McCartney good. That's Paul McCartney good. That's how yeah, good that melody is. It's not, and it's not just the vocal melodies. It's the, wow. the counterpoint of the harmonies and also the, so, uh, wow. the melody of the guitar lines, the guitar picking. That is such a good guitar accompaniment line. It's just, they're all coming together to make it like incredibly hooky in that song. I don't think I'd ever listened to that carefully before because it usually goes by when I'm cooking or working or something. It's playing in the background, but the counterpoint of that beautiful guitar line against that melody that works even when he's just whistling it. Yeah. You know? And the ooze. Uh, I mean, those are not, you know, your granddaddy's ooze. That's very reminiscent of the early arrangements of what the Beatles did vocally or the, or the Beach Boys. And, and it's what I love about Iron and Wine. You know, the, the great combination of the woman and the man voice yeah. connecting. And in that case, as you mentioned, that was co-written by the two of them. Um, let me see if I got it down here. Yeah, uh, Christina Lacey and Samuel Bentley. Yeah, they wrote it together, and uh, it's a great collaboration vocally. And, and just the melody is, as Adam said, it's it's what the guitars are doing there and, and the background vocals. It all comes together so wonderfully to create... A very, very musical song. I, I love that. I think that's a great, great song on every level. It really is. I mean, I like the first one, certainly, but that is top-notch. Thank you for playing that. Jeez. Well, you're welcome. Woo! You really are welcome. Um, so uh, the first time they uh, got to America, those are both around like 2010, 11, 12, I think, those records. Um, but they came to America after that, ended up touring with... Uh, Canadian group City in Color uh, and that made me think of them because they had a, I was reading about Paper Kites and realized they toured with them and there was a City in Color song that came up a lot from the, from the album Bring Me Your Love uh, and so I'm going to play you that as well this is uh, The Girl from Bring Me Your Love by City in Color <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
that's 40. This is a 47th podcast. That's the first time I had two, not one, two false starts where I thought I was leaning towards pushing record on our uh, False endings. False ending, yes. Um, two interesting things about the, well, three, I guess, interesting things about that song. He, it's the entire song done again, but done as like an f- Irish folk ditty. <laughs> the first part, it's more of a folk ballad. Then the second part, it's all the same lyric, the same thing, same melody, but done, you know, upbeat. And then that very strange outro that has these booming bass, and, and we have these great speakers in here, and like the whole apartment seemed to shake when it was like, you know, it had this great, but I don't even know. I mean, it's almost like their own little uh, little epic they threw together there, little folk epic. Yeah, it's cool though, isn't it? Uh, Very cool. He's another guy that came from uh, uh, more of a punk band. He had a band called Alexis on Fire, uh, and then started City in Color. And uh, I, I really like that. You know, this Dallas Green is his name. Uh, it's funny how many of these guys in folk, you know, right, doing a lot of folk music right now, didn't come up in acoustic circuits, but started off in more hardcore, you know, punkish or rock bands. And then opted to do something different. I like you know, I I didn't know either Propaganda or Alexis on Fire, but the Weaker Thans and City in Color I've heard you know, and right. uh, both guys came from different places. Yeah, and what is the chances of two people named Dallas Green that are not unless he's related to the manager of the nineteen eighty Phillies yeah. championship team? But that's a very unique name, obviously. But uh, yeah, I, I would—I honestly did not expect that thing to rip into a whole second, almost a cover of what we had just heard within the structure of the same song. And then again, when that part was over, I was leaning over to push record, and I was like, "No, no, no, no! Still have the the coda, and that coda is has a completely different feel." So that's a very interesting song. Yeah, I dig them. Uh, They—they, they, I'm trying to think which one of my friends. Some some of the Outlaw Roadshow bands, somebody toured with City and Color at one point, but I can't remember who it is. City and Color with the U, so I'm assuming they're from the UK. Well, the Canadian, they're kind of uh, Canadian. or Canadian. Yeah, thank you. Um, uh, so I want to play another band right now that keeps that's coming up. Uh, that came up for me because they uh, they're from LA, but I've always thought of them as this Midwestern cold weather acoustic duo. Um, uh, milk carton kids. Ah, yes. Why did you think of them that way? I think just from hearing the song and because the cover of that first, the covers of the albums are very like mm-hmm. the first album prologue is like this gray cityscape. Sure. Looks like some you know Ohio city to me. Kind of. Although when I look closer, it could be a big city like New York. And then the, one of their albums has like uh, it's like a sepia toned and it's got like a field of flowers oh so in it's it. the imagery of, of how yeah it's just the imagery and then the, the songs I always uh, because the first song I heard and the one that stuck in my head is the one I'm about to play which is called Michigan oh uh, yes uh, can I say this my wife and I do a duet of this and we kill every time kill it people go nuts and every time I say who does this and my wife goes milk carton kids come on and I never remember it. but yes this is one of my all time favorite songs this is a great Great song, lyrically, musically, uh, and strangely enough, I sing the higher part, and it does more of the lower part in this. But we, I had she had played this for me on the acoustic before I'd ever heard it, and I was stunned by it. And when I heard the song, I was really moved. Yeah, these these guys are great. 
they are great. Yeah, and I mean, of course, the song's called Michigan. <laughs> so I mean, it's part of why I always uh, yes. thought of them as Midwestern. But, you know, it's also about leaving it. So maybe they, I don't know if they grew up there or something. But they, I know they formed in L.A., I think. But Love this Anyways, song. this is a great song. Milk Carton Kids from uh, their first album, Prologue, uh, 2011. This is Michigan.
I love that song. Wait, wait. Not just fucking with you. <laughs> Very good. Yes, I am familiar with this one. Uh, yeah, I, I love that song. I love singing it. It's such a beautiful, sad, sad melody. And um, the one lyric that always pops out at me is, keep your hands where I can see them. I, that always, you know, that's the kind of thing that a cop will say, you know, or, uh, you know, in a gangster movie. Keep your hands where I can see them. Louie. <laughs> out of nowhere in this really heart-wrenching song of escape and loss and wandering. Yeah. It's cool. I don't know what you make of it, but, you know. Yeah, it's very much a wanderer song, you know. I wonder if it's someone passing through the Midwest on the way to somewhere else. I don't know. Well, this makes perfect sense now. I, I shouldn't even question that because I had no idea these guys were from L.A. When you said Milk Carton Kids, it didn't fire until if, when you said Michigan. And this song does reek of sort of that, you know, the little town and just I'm getting the fuck out of here. You know, it's in the rearview mirror now. Whatever the hell happened back there, it almost has a Nebraska kind of sound to it. Springsteen's Nebraska, sort of this very cold, very, um, I mean, it's not a song about murderers or it could be people on the lam. Um because they do say keep the hands where I can see them. But uh, however you want to read into it, it does seem like people on the run or, or trying to escape something. Could be drudgery. Uh, could be a new life. Uh, in a just bigger bad city. weather. Or people, just People leave the weather. areas for a lot of reasons, you know. True. Uh, I, I really love the song, though. I, I just, I've, I've just been – every time it comes on, I'm just kind of, wow, this is a great song. I, I, I always plan to play it, and then – I yeah, found myself like the last few days going back through a lot of these, you know, going back through what's been on the radio station and flipping through the pictures I took on my phone of songs I liked and just trying to go through a lot of these that we haven't played that I've been really loving. Right. And I feel like I failed you because I should have played this months ago. When Aaron showed us to me, I was like, oh, I got to play this on the podcast. And, uh, you know, little did I know you had already heard it, like most of the songs, even that I suggest, you're, you're, you're constantly picking up new music. And um, that, and then uh, it was another song, too. I can't remember, but yeah, that's a spectacular song. I love it. I just love the whole vibe of it. And it's a song that, it's almost a dirge, but you never get tired of it. Well, it's got the thing, it's got a really beautiful, the two guitars, the one strumming, the one picking. The strumming is very sparse, which leaves room for the the very, like, subtle flat picking the other guy's doing. And... uh, they're great guitar melodies against great vocal melodies, and it leaves you a lot of hooks to like for your ears keep, to like get hooked been, up in, you know. Right. But even it's funny because the first time Aaron had played that for me, not to bring it, but I'm saying a lot of times we talk about it on this podcast, and you said it. Sometimes when you could play a song, and that's not for everybody if you can't play an instrument, but if you could play a song, you realize the beauty of it. And the first couple of times we did it, I'm like, I don't know if people, especially when they repeat the chorus, I'm like, this song seems to keep going. But, it, it, but when you're actually singing it or when people are out listening to it, they don't seem to be like, wow, that, that, that went on for too long. It, it, even because I'm not playing nearly what that guy's doing. I'm just playing like picking behind her regular strumming. So even with rudimentary people like my wife and I playing a song th- uh, this good, it doesn't even necessarily even need that. I mean just the strength of the, of the, the, the melody, as you said. But yeah, what those guys are doing, especially at the end, that cool little thing at the end that he does – um, with the guitar, kind of gives it a little blues lick. Yeah, those guys are great. I haven't heard too much more from them. You know, this is the main one. I think there's one other song that she played me, but well, they made a bunch of records. That's this is the the only one I have is Prologue. But because it's named Michigan, it 
it made my brain run to another song that's popped up quite a few times on this on Awesome Fuck Yeah Radio, which is Romulus from Sufjan Stevens' fir- third album, Greetings right. from Michigan. Uh, what's the name of that record? Greetings from Michigan is the Great Lakes State. Yeah. Uh, we played a bunch of things early on a podcast from Come On, Feel the Illinois. His next album, which is a sort of a, a pain to, uh, or an ode to uh, Illinois. Which I think is a great idea. He took one state. I think he told me he had the ambition of doing all 50. But well, I don't know that he actually did or he just <laughs> said that. As a, I, I always think he just said that to sort of, because he'd done Michigan and then he did Illinois. Right. Yeah. Well, they're right there. You know, it's funny because... Um, well, not funny. I think it's a it's a masterful idea because if you're going to do that, it, you could do it until they put you away uh, or you leave the mortal coil because there's so many states, so many different things. You could just say, okay, in this state, we're going to discuss like he has John Wayne Gacy and, and different things and in, in, a, in the Michigan one, which I also love. And I was turned on by uh, Stevens from you. Uh, and I and I love Illinois the most because we we really kind of studied that one the most. But this this record is just as good. It's really good. I mean, he has a certain style. See, isn't he the one also who did like a ton of Christmas songs? Yeah, yeah, brilliant Christmas yeah, songs. Yeah, yeah, he keeps doing more and more Christmas EPs. He does more of them every year. It seems like I think we played Drummer Boy. Yeah, in the very first podcast. Fact. But this is a song called Romulus. Romulus and Remus, of course, in uh, Roman mythology, I believe, not Greek mythology. Their mother was a wolf. And then they founded the city of Rome. Uh, and this song called Romulus, the predatory nature of the mother they're talking about in it is like chilling in a way. Sure. This is Romulus from Sufjan Stevens. Greetings from Michigan, the Great Lake State.
most heartbreaking song I've heard since Julianne Baker something on here. Uh, that is heartbreaking, that song. Absolutely gut-wrenching heartbreaking. It's so personal, so sad. I feel sad for everyone in that song and the person singing it. It's <laughs> chilling, too, though. Like The kind of laissez-faire nature of dealing with absentee parenting or just shitty parenting like when he says uh, when she had her last child once when she had some boyfriend some while she moved away quite far and you think it's going to say something about the effect it has on their lives but instead what he goes to is our grandpa bought us a new VCR we we watched it all night we grew up in spite of it you know that that like very matter of factly their grandfather replaces their mother with a VCR they lose their mother and he doesn't say anything about that. Like, instead, he goes to the very matter-of-fact nature that they got a VCR instead, and they didn't have motherhood there, but they watched movies a lot. And and by saying he, we grew up in spite of it, it's like it has replaced the mother because you would grow up in spite of a sure. parent, not in spite of a VCR. Sure. And he's very matter in a matter-of-fact way, replacing his mother with this, you know, machinery, this appliance. You know, this is magnificent storytelling. He, the first verse, he gets a phone call, 
Apparently his mother's gone to Oregon or somewhere because he's in Romulus, Michigan, which is about, I just looked it up, about 50 miles south, southwest of uh, Detroit in that area in Wayne County, Michigan. So it's right there in the middle of the state. And he, when it's his turn to talk to her, he's ashamed. I was ashamed. So now he immediately draws you in. What is he ashamed of? When he, when he says her Chevrolet, in the second verse, her Chevrolet broke down. We prayed it'd never be fixed or be found. A second voice comes in to underline it. It's almost like an italics, using an italics, but a musical italics to show you. That's the first sign. They hate this woman so much, their own mother, that they want her to be missing or dead. Well, is it that or is that uh, they don't want her to leave, that the car breaks down when she's visiting them and they don't want her to leave? Ah, I'm not sure they've thought about it that way yet. Good one, because then then it follows. That's what I was going to ask you. Very good, because I was going to ask you the next lines speak more to how you're reading it. We touched her hair. We touched her hair very lovingly. I almost looked at it like that's the thing they remember before they started to really – before she left them. That's the memory they have. You know, like when you're a baby, you're like babies will do this. They'll grab the the long hair, the woman's hair, and that's their earliest – I mean to think – their most fondest memories when they were infants because she was never there when they were in their formative years. They I think were, at that point she is there, and they're, they're, they don't want her to They like, don't want to leave. They don't want her to leave. That last verse, too, but he, I don't think he really begins to condemn until the end because he talks about when my turn came, I was ashamed when he was young. But by the end of the song, that's the beginning of the song. Right. But then at the end of the song, we saw her once last fall. Our grandpa died in a hospital gown. She didn't seem to care. She smoked in her room and colored her hair. I was ashamed of her. I was ashamed. I was ashamed, ashamed of, her. of her. Like both. That he was ashamed and he was ashamed of her. And great writing again. Forget about songwriting. He goes back. The last line is colored her hair. The very hair that he was the connection as a yeah. child that he was touched. We touched her hair. She, she smoked in her room and colored her hair. She was blithely watching this man who with cared the VCR cared about them, <laughs> raised them. Yeah, and that she, the hair that was so emblematic of her and so important early in the song that, that he says it four times, we touched her hair, we touched her hair. At the end, it's, it's emblematic of her not giving a shit, and it's fake. You know, she didn't seem to care. She smoked in her room and colored her hair. She's busy taking care of herself, you know, in a, in a very surface way as opposed to caring a, for them, or in this case just caring about them or caring about her father who's just died at this point. Um, yeah, it's a devastating song to Devastating. Me. I mean, I, I'm, that's no, there's no... Everything is sad. In this. When he sings, she moved away quite far. <laughs> you know, it's almost like she, he's trying to tell you she didn't... She not only left us, she went a long way to separate she put a huge which is why again and you do this in your songs and we've talked about it using these cities or these towns as touchstones to give reality to it and you could picture he talks about being on the phone and we talked about Oregon so I'm assuming she went from Wayne County Michigan to Oregon right to the end of, to the other side you know to the to the west coast and he, they're still in the, the 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 central part of the country so she not only moved away it wasn't like she moved in another town or maybe even the uh, the neighboring state she moved a, quite far and he sings it and we've said this about other songs too he sings it like a kid there's there's such fragility in his voice such 
longing and 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 he just he's just broken. I I, I am so moved by this song. And it's funny. I've listened to this record before, and it didn't jump out at me. Listening to it, just not in the structure of listening to the whole record. It really is stark to use and, the word and you a, used. There's a simplicity in the language too. In yeah, they're they're short phrases. When my turn came, I was ashamed. Once when our mother called, she had a voice of last year's cough. We passed around the phone, sharing a word about Oregon. He, he keeps it all. They're brief phrases. That's no long, yes. drawn-out thoughts. No. Small fra- uh, Together, they add up to one. A hell of a thought. But, but they're short thoughts to begin with, you know? And they say so much. Last year's cough. Haven't seen her in a year. We talked about, we had some words about Oregon. She's all the way in Oregon. She moved quite far. Okay, now she's in Oregon. They're still in Michigan. He says so much and so little. I mean, I'm picturing the whole thing unfold. And the one thing that that we got out of it differently, I got out of it, oh my God, they hate this woman so much that they don't want her to ever be found. Uh, And then, but then also, what's even more heartbreaking is they they don't want her to leave. That's their mother. You know, and she seems to not care about them. Uh, that, that's the the tragic duality of children dealing with parents is that you're or any kind of family that you're torn between the love you have for them and the anger at their failures you know it's a not a pleasant mess to get caught in powerful powerful song and that guy never fails to not be for a loop so tell us the other night you were at uh, Steven's show and you said you saw someone you really you thought Kind of blew you away. Yeah. A really good young songwriter. Yeah, you know, uh, as I mentioned uh, last night, in fact, I uh, saw uh, Stephen play at the uh, Daryl's house, and this uh, young singer-songwriter, uh, Taylor Carson, is uh, touring with him. I don't know if he's doing the full tour, uh, but he's an acoustic player as well. And, he's got a, and I found out he has a couple of albums. He was nice enough to give me his CD. And uh, very much in the vein of Stephen, has a country flavor to his phrasing, but in the folk vein... And all of his songs are very personal. He writes, much like Stephen, he writes about his family, his his wife, his upbringing, his teenage years, his you know the things in his life that matter. And uh, like Stephen, and like myself, he has a daughter. And um, he told this great story last night about how the night before they played in Maine, and um, his daughter uh, was at the show, and he said it was really quiet, and it was a theater. It was unlike the place last night. It was more of a noisier bar kind of area. And he said they pl- he played the song, and when he finished, <laughs> she yelled out, I love you, Daddy, <laughs> which was so touching the way he said it. And then everybody, went, of course, went, aw. And he's like, yeah, it threw me for a complete loop because, you know, you're play- it's all dark, and you're playing the song, and I've played the song hundreds of times. And uh, I got to play it with her in the audience, which was kind of neat because Stephen's girls were there last night, so he played songs for daughters, which we've played on this podcast. So combining all of that, uh, it was when he-, when he stepped up to play the song, uh, it was very, very moving, and uh, it's a song called I Believe in You, and he said something really profound before he played it as well. He said, you know, it's really not even about my daughter per se or about kids. It's about we have such imagination when we're younger, we tend to lose that, and I just my wish for her is that she never loses that imagination. It's like one of the final uh, lines in the song. Anyway, this is um, Taylor Carson and a song called I Believe in You. Good night, sleep tight, baby When the 
that some chance you still be amazing the moon makes a great night light while the stars dance like fireflies this lovely world is what you make it you can fly you can run like a bird and light the sun dreams come true baby i believe in you you can fly you can run like a bird and light the sun dreams come true baby i believe in you baby i believe in you How were your dreams like you? I bet they were amazing. Take time with your imagination. It's wild, child, and get your heart racing. This lovely world is what you make it. You can fly, you can run like a bird shine like the sun. Dreams come true. Baby, I believe in you. You can fly, you can run like a bird shine like the sun. Dreams come true. Baby, I believe in you. Baby, I believe in you. That's a cool song. Yeah, I love. Uh, obviously, last night I didn't have the strings there. That really adds to it. I heard that um, when I got home. I listened to a little bit of the CD. Um, yeah, it's a very pretty song, and I and I love the way it ends. About I'm I'm, I'm proud of your imagination. Um, after he prefaced it, it, it made sense to me. It's really a song about, and that's true when you have a kid, or when you see you know, when you see kids. They don't even have to have a kid. I used to enjoy speaking to kids about writing years ago. Um, and how precocious they can be, and how amazing they can use their imagination, and, and how and, and how much you tend to lose that when you get older, you know. And uh, you always wish that that people never do; they never lose that that part of their imagination. A long time ago, after their first couple, after Wilco made uh, AM and being there. I feel like that's when this was... Yeah, after AM and being there. Because so, it's right around when we were making this desert life, I want to say. I heard about this project where Nora Guthrie, uh, Woody Guthrie's daughter, had gone to Billy Bragg and to the guys in Wilco and talked to them about... She wanted them to take a bunch of lyrics. There were 50 or 60 lyrics that Woody Guthrie had left behind with only the barest notes of 
suggestions on what the music should be or the melody should be. They, right, right. Or, or they had none at all. And you were right. I think that was around 2000 they did that record. Yeah. Well, the first one is earlier because I, I remember when we were making – I remember hearing about it when we were making this Desert Life. They were working on it, I think. Um, that came out, what, 99? 99. So you were that. It's like yeah. it was a year – hearing them talking about it or people reading about them or what it was. Right. Um, and they ended up making a record called Mermaid Avenue. Yes. Uh, and uh, so good. They've actually made three of them now: Mermaid Avenue, Volume One, Volume Two, and Volume Three. And they did a staggering amount of pretty brilliant work. The idea was not just to write stuff to his, but to add, and not just to try to be uh, slavish to an idea of writing songs for the time, but more to imagine that they were there with Woody Guthrie now collaborating. And to take the lyrics as a form of collaboration with Woody Guthrie and really to write things that that, that spoke to them and that, that were not them being archivists, but them being collaborators in a way with, with this great, great American songwriter. Right. Um, Woody and Guthrie. by the way, a great, great British songwriter who was the next generation of Woody Guthrie politically, musically, aesthetically. Well, several Billy generations Bragg. down the line. Right, several generations. Because I would say down. you had, you know, well, Dylan, Dylan and a million uh, other yeah, people right, first. My, you know? Yeah, several generations out of the good point. Exactly, Dylan. Um, and then Wilco, which was a perfect combination of the two of them because Wilco had a great deal of respect for Americana music. But also, they had a great. They didn't work in an archivist way. You know, when they left behind Uncle Tupelo, which had been. When Tweedy left that band and formed. Uh, Wilco. I don't know how many guys in Wilco were in Uncle Tupelo. I know Jay Farrar was in Uncle Tupelo, and he left and, and formed Sunvolt. And that same year, Tweedy... I don't know if Jay Bennett was in Uncle Tupelo or not. I don't know, but with Jay Bennett and uh, Ken Coomer, the drummer, they filmed Wilco. An incredible band. John uh, Sturrott, the bass player. But one thing about them is that even though they came from an Americana background, they've never been respectful to the they can love a music without feeling the need to create in that vein that Wilco has always been about noises and strange sounds and the yeah. deconstruction of their music uh, to the point where sometimes Wilco albums were hard for me to get into. I had to go get bootlegs. I, I know, especially with Yankee Hotel Foxtrot and Summer Teeth, I didn't like the records very much until I had gotten bootlegs and gotten used to the songs live and then came back to the records, which were so... Full of weird deconstructed right. noises. Well, and that stuff. For, right, that former record is very much like uh, 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 Tom Waits's um, um, Swordfish Trombones. That's their their quintessential record. The, Which one? The former, the when Yankee you Hotel Foxtrot. Yes, yeah, yes, yeah. right, exactly. Which comes after Summer Teeth. It is, right. but this is before either of those has been made. Uh, and so, I know Jay Bennett left during the making of Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. Very famously captured in the incredible documentary I Am Trying to Break Your Heart, which if you ever want to see what it's really like inside a band making a record and the disintegration that can go on during that, well, I guess you could also watch Let It Be. But you could just... Uh, <laughs> but I Am Trying to Break Your Heart is, is in is I've a never stunning seen portrait of a band making a groundbreaking record. Uh, what record are they making? In there? They're, they're are making, they making Fox Hotel Foxtrot. Oh, They're they are. fourth wow. or fifth. It, I've it, never it goes, seen that. AM being there... Then I think they make the first Mermaid Avenue. Then they make uh, which, by the way, there's Summer a documentary Teeth. about the making of Mermaid oh. Avenue. I oh, I didn't know that. Yes, that I know. 
But I've never. I don't know about this one. Several songs from Mermaid Avenue and Mermaid Avenue Volume Two have come up over the years on many times on uh, Awesome Fuck Yeah Radio. One comes up repeatedly lately, and another one came up early on when I first made it, and we ended up. uh, It's a song that we had covered, Uh, but let me start with the latter one. this is, well, the later one, not the latter one. This is from Mermaid Al- Avenue, Volume 2. This is an incredible song. It's Remember the Mountain Bed. Mm. Do you still sing of the mountain bed we made of limbs and leaves? Do you still sigh down near the sky with holly berry bleeds? You laughed as I covered you over with leaves, face, breasts, hips, and thighs. You smiled and I said the leaves were just the color of your eyes. Rosin smells and turpentine smells from eucalyptus and pine. Bitter taste of twigs we chewed with tangled vines twine. Trees held us in on all four sides so thick we could not see. I could not see any wrong in you and you saw. Your arm was brown against the ground Your cheeks part of the sky Your fingers played with grassy moss As the moon Stomach moved beneath your shirt and your knees were in the air Your feet played games with mountain roots as you lay thinking there Below us the trees grew clumps of trees, raised families of trees and they Proud as we tossed their heads in the wind and flung its seeds away. The sun was hot and the sun was bright down in the valley below. The people starved and hungry for life, so empty, come and go. Shade and hid from the sun, we freed our minds and learned our greatest reason for being here. Our bodies moved and burned. There on our mountain. 
mountain bed of leaves We learn life's reason why People laugh and love and dream They fight, they hate to die Smell of your hair, I know it's still there Most of our leaves are blown I was still ringing the brush in the trees We're singing seeds of song The shape and form is dim but plain There on our mountain bed I see my life is brightest Where you laughed and laid your head I learned the reason why man must work And how to dream big dreams To conquer time and space And fight the rivers and the seas and I stand here filled with my emptiness now I look at city and land And I know our farms and cities are built A hot water the sand Across many states just to stand here now My face all hot with tears I cross city and valley, desert and stream To bring my body here My history and future blaze bright in me And all my joy and pain Go through my head on our mountain bed Where I smell your hair again All this day long I linger here And on and through the night My greed desires, my cravings, hopes My dreams inside me fight My loneliness healed, my emptiness filled I walk above all pain Back to the breast of my woman and child To scatter my seeds again That's, um, that's Tweety there, right? That's yeah, his yeah. vocal there. Because Billy Bragg, of course, has that distinctive uh, voice. Well, yeah. I don't think... I mean, I don't know how much they work together on this. They both work on this, and they're... I mean, the songs don't seem to be a lot of collaborations between them, though. Like, some of the songs are Billy Bragg and Woody Guthrie lyrics. I mean, and then some of the songs are... Uh... But they... Ba- didn't they Because, ba- oh, by the way, the name of the film, and it did come out in 1999, so they must have worked on it, like, in 1998, as you mentioned. It's called Man in the Sand, directed by... Kim Hopkins, and it talks about them getting together and going over the lyrics and working with uh, Woody Guthrie's daughter. But um, so, did, but didn't Wilco back back brag? Or they, oh, he, maybe they're the band playing. That's probably true. Actually, I just I was looking I at the writing is. of it, and there are very few 
collaborations in the writing between the guys in Wilco and Billy Bragg, but they, of course they're prob- they they must be the band behind it. And it's something. There's something about that recording, that song, that just reeks of the Basement Tapes. He has this great Richard Manuel. I always thought Tweedy had this great Richard Manuel crying sort of style of singing when he gets there, when he's doing that. And I love the keyboard in the background and that great sort of southern Civil War style snare, you know, uh, uh, sort of wartime antebellum style of the of the, the, the drumming on there. It's, it's just very Americana. And it also has this weird phrasing that reminds me of, you know, a lot of people wondered about you know, Dylan took a lot of Guthrie's persona when he did his early stuff. Certainly, times there are changing and blowing in the wind. And But I think when I hear the phrasing of that, I think of what Dylan ended up taking and going further with. Like, that's our right mom only bleeding or visions of Johanna. Not lyrically, but the phrasing of it is very poetic. When well, he, I think that's in the... the I mean, I, I think that the, you know, the, the really famous Woody Guthrie songs, the obvious one is This Land is Your Land... Right. We tend to just think of them as these sing-songy things we sung in school. You know, this land is your land, this land is my land from California, New York Island. Right, or political, very political. But, but I'm not. But I, I think when we get older, songs. but I think as far as the lyrics are concerned, I feel like we think of them as being very sing-songy and very old-fashioned. Yeah, yeah, true. Because that one we just sing from California to New York Island from the Redwood Forest right, to right. the Gulf Stream waters. You know, it's but. When we were covering that song, what I really discovered was like how open the lyrics were being sung more like that. Because the next verse is, as I was walking that ribbon of highway, I saw above me the endless sky. Mm-hmm. I saw below me that golden valley. This land was made for you and me. I've roamed and I've rambled and I followed my footsteps through the sparkling sands of those diamond deserts. And all around me, a voice was sounding. And that voice said, this land was made for you and me. And I, I was thinking of that as I was listening to the lyrics because this is the lyrics this is just the last three verses of that song I feel like he's not actually writing that sing-songy way that we sing the first verse of This Land Is Your Land his lyrics always have they're 30 years ahead of their time 40 years ahead of their time and they sound like things that people could write now the combination the way that uh, uh, Robbie Robertson wrote that combination of 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 life and mythology in a song the grand and the small and the ability to write about something gigantic like a ribbon highway but also bring it down to the the minutiae of a man and a woman making a bed on a hillside as they do here well like you said ribbon highway diamond deserts this is the kind of beat poetry that became much more famous after him and 20 30 20 years, years later. later 20 30 years later using nouns as as adjectives uh, like, is what Ginsburg did, and then later Dylan did, like in um, uh, uh, you know, uh, "Sad-eyed Lady of the Lowlands" or you know, "Visions of Johanna." Anyway, please. I mean, listen to these last three verses here uh, of this song. Of this song, yeah, yeah. Remember the mountain bed, you know, which is you know, he's talking about lying on a hillside with a girl, making love on a hillside, and and and, and he talks about the the feeling of lying on the hillside and playing footsie with the tree roots, and then it expands out into this thing about the world around them and the country and the people starving and hungry and like, but he brings it back again, you know, I'm trying to think where to start here. The smell of your hair. I know is still there. If most of our leaves are blown, our words still ring in the brush and the trees where singing seeds are sown. Your shape and form is dim, but plain there on our mountain bed. I see my life was brightest where you laughed and laid your head. 
I learned the reason why man must work and how to dream big dreams. To conquer time and space and fight the rivers and the seas. I stand here filled with my emptiness now and look at city and land. And I know why farms and cities are built by hot, warm, nervous hands. You know, that, that, that the, the, the macro, the gigantic, the, 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 the land we dig into, the cities we construct from the ground into the sky that are built by hot, warm, nervous hands. The same kind of hands that make love. They touch each other. Mm-hmm. You know, that, that it's a very, that while cities may seem massive and impersonal, that on every level they're constructed by the same people who have sex and make love on hillsides. And that is one of the, the and, and, listen, Woody Guthrie made no bones about him being socialist. He was against, he had the, the on his guitar, this machine kills fascists and all of that stuff. But the thing I think that most people loved about Woody Guthrie, all his marches for, for, for human rights, especially during you know, the Depression, and that, was he's a humanist first. Those songs are very human. And there was nothing, nothing more dehumanizing than what he lived through, which was the Depression and World War II, the dehumanization of people through war and famine and you, you know, when you see people, I've often made this uh, analogy. When people are cold, they become like turtles. They wrap up, and they don't. They're in you. They they lose their humanity because they're just trying to survive. That is an entire generation of people that Gut, Guthrie spoke to. I always believed he was a humanist first, and that is a great way of what you're saying there as a way of depicting that in a few well, lines. And let me finish the song. Sure. As he says, you know, after sort of that incredible statement that cities are built by these hot, warm, nervous hands. I cross many states just to stand here now, my face all hot with tears. I cross city and valley, desert and stream to bring my body here. My history and future blaze bright in me and all my joy and pain. Go through my head on our mountain bed where I smell your hair again. Hmm. All this day long I linger here and on in through the night. My greed, desires, my cravings, hopes, my dreams inside me fight. My loneliness healed, my emptiness filled. I walk above all pain, back to the breast of my woman and child to scatter my seeds again. <laughs> I mean, he he keeps very biblical, reaching out for the epic, mm-hmm. and and then sweeping you back in. You know, I've crossed many states just to stand here now, my face all hot with tears. I cross city and valley, desert and stream to bring my body here. My history and future blaze bright in me, and all my joy and pain. Go through my head on our mountain bed where I smell your hair again. This whole verse about the macro, about the giant, the history, the future, the city, the valley, the desert, the stream states, all my joy and pain go through my head on our mountain bed where I smell your hair again. That it's all these great things are equal. You know, you pile up A equals B. All the things on one side of the equation are all the things in the world that man builds, that, that God made, all these things. And then on the other side of the equation, he says, all my joy and pain go through my head on our mountain bed where I smell your hair again. It's that they're equal to the simple act of rolling over and smelling the hair of someone he loves, which is as powerful to him as all the inventions and creations in the world of God and man. And that, that is an incredible statement right there. That, that second to last verse, that blows my mind, that verse. That, that is a piece of writing that sums up what Woody Guthrie is great about and what leads... 
why people will say to you, oh, Woody Guthrie leads to Dylan, and you think of because it's two guys with with not saying you, I mean in general, people think of it's two guys with guitars, maybe not the greatest voices, just sort of singing stuff out and protest songs. It's not about the protest songs. They both wrote those. It's not about that at all. If they had just written protest songs, they would be remembered the way we remember a few other guys who did that, like, you know, Tom Rush or... Uh, I don't know who are the other guys in, in Greenwich Village writing. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, sure. The, the, uh, the Kingston uh, Trio and sure, sure. a few other people, but it's not that. Right. Their their songwriting, the gift of their writing is so much larger than that. It's imbi- ability to their ability to embrace mythologically sized concepts and also the minutia of rolling over and smelling someone's hair. That's why their writing is great, and it has nothing to do with the fact they're two guys with acoustic guitars playing protest songs. That is the most surface. You know this because as one as someone who's listening to their music, the songs you're talking about, those aren't the protest songs you're talking about. No, you know it's it, there's. And I've often said that those absolutely are, there's a lineage there. You know, Dave Van Ronk, one of the guys who were a contemporary of Dylan's that you mentioned from the Village, said that Dylan had discovered Verlaine and Rambeau and the surrealistic poets and uh, and and the romanticism of you know the French poets before he'd even done his first record. The idea has always been well, Dylan just. Saw Woody Guthrie, wanted to be Woody Guthrie, and, and that's true. Physically took on, went to visit him when he was dying in New Jersey. Yes. Took on the physical persona. However, Dylan was deep into reading all of the stuff that he uses in the later periods when he's doing the, uh, you know, Mr. Tambourine Man. Those, those long-form, free-form poems that become these hard rain. He's combining what I believe is the best of what Woody Guthrie gave him. And I think the old saying is that it went from Dylan to Springsteen because later on John Hammond had, had discovered Springsteen and saw the same thing he saw in Dylan. These long, as you said, these long epics about the human condition, about people right next door, not these great Homer-esque things, but just someone right next door, their pain. And, and what you just said, I think— But they are the, Homer-esque too. They are they epic are, stories. They are epic stories, but it's the guy you relate to. It's not the superhero— kind of aspect. That's why you and I always talk about Marvel. What do we love about Marvel? They bring it down to the kid that just can't get a date and, and is... Yeah, you but know, the kid who just can't get a date who can shoot webs out of his web shooters and swing around the sky. Because he's superhuman. Right. I mean, it, 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 there's, there is a... And that's true from the very beginning with Dylan and from the very beginning with Springsteen on that first record. Oh, you know, those, those, those songs there. are like... Yes. We're awash in the lyric, the invention, the imagery, and the melody. All of these guys write melodies that you can right, hum you upon forever. That. That's very like true. they have that thing. It's not one thing. It's not a bunch of guys writing protest songs. And, and sure, later on, Springsteen did that too. But if all he did was Nebraska and Tom, uh, the Ghost of Tom Joad, yeah. two of my favorite records. Right, me too. We wouldn't be remembering Springsteen the same way. No, either. and Springsteen, interestingly enough, is flip flopped. He goes to more of the sparse uh, protest and gets more politically involved. After the river or around the river. In the beginning, he is writing these amazing odes, these mystical periods. You know, the, the 10th Avenue freeze out, seeing the mystical saxophonist walking down the, the boardwalk. He goes the other way, whereas Dylan and Guthrie, they used political movements. In the case of, of uh, Guthrie, the, 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 uh, the, um, the, move, the socialist movement for, um, for uh, it's escaping me now, but uh, to support the uh, unions. And Dylan used the civil rights, not used, but they were inspired to write about those things. And then later on became much more personal. What you're talking about in this thing is what I've always thought was a great balance for songwriters. Taking the universal and the personal and putting them together. Yeah. 
That's what the thing we're talking about. When you can, when you can reach as far as the mythological, and see the vastness of nations and worlds, but also the way someone's hair smells. That's when yes. you've got something spectacular. I mean, I think that the the reason there's a reverse, by the way, in the it, that he comes from a small town, and so so much of his early writing is about. Well, so does Dylan, but he's moved to New York before a lot of this happens, and so well, is Woody also, Guthrie's seen the country too. But Springsteen is dealing a lot of his early songs are about hope and what's going to be there outside if you can just get out of this place. And he's in. imagining it that where Dylan did move when he was twenty years old from Hibbing and got out of a you know in a subway in the coldest New York winter, nineteen sixty one. Guthrie is the ultimate traveling hobo, yeah. jumping on trains. But the other thing is Springsteen. The th- the difference between Springsteen and Guthrie. And Dylan is the Beatles. He had the advantage of the Beatles, and that changed yeah. everything for everyone. So but he's wow, got a lot more. He he doesn't get well. He starts off with the hope that's possible if he could just escape from this place, and then gets out there and kind of comes to realize, oh, there's not a lot of hope out here. Actually, it, it it's a lot of dead mm-hmm. ends for most people. Not for him. He actually found the stuff when he got out there, but he had the humanity to look back and say. Boy, for a lot of the people like me who I was writing about, there's not much out here. Sure. And then he went back and, and, and wrote more about that, you know, starting with uh, uh, Darkness on the Edge of Town and then The River. He really starts to write about maybe there's not quite so much hope. And then, then he goes all the way back down to, uh, to Nebraska, you know. Sure. He goes, and like I said, he goes the other way. What is the, what's the song on that first record? Oh, Blinded by the Light. See, Blinded by the Light is a very good example of Springsteen using everything that came afterwards. That That is a 60s song restructured by a 70s artist and understanding the greatness of Dylan, but also understanding the greatness of the movement, the, 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 the English movement. Because <clears throat> Springsteen will be the first to tell you that this, you know, he saw Elvis, I think it was in his play, uh, and you saw the play, uh, Elvis changed him. But the Beatles, the idea of a band and writing your own songs even though Dylan had that, was a big influence on that generation. I, I was always fascinated by the fact that, that Springsteen, who I believe is like 10 years older than me, um, was maybe more. Because didn't he say he was like six or seven when he first saw Elvis Presley? And that is a, that's a big jolt. You know, obviously, Elvis, we've talked about that a million times. But, but the Springsteen-Woody Guthrie-Dylan thing has always fascinated me, that connection. But Spring, the difference is Springsteen had the 60s. Before he, I mean, I don't know when he started writing songs, but his first record is seventy three, right? And he started to be in bands yes. like late sixties. So, yeah, yeah seventy two or seventy three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I want to play one more. This is a song that when I stumbled upon it when it first came out, I was so in love with this song and so blown away that it had been written by Woody Guthrie sometime, you know, between nineteen forty and nineteen sixty something. You know, just the lyrics, the right? lyrics, right? Uh, and we covered this song for a while. Mostly over this one Christmas, but we played it other times after that. Uh, and I'm just going to read you the lyrics of the song, because there's, there's no way this is written in 1940-something, except that it is. Um, <laughs> I like to rest my heavy head tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd like to lay my weary bones tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd love to feel your hand touching mine and tell me why I must keep working on, yeah, I'd give my life to lay my head tonight on a bed of California stars. I'd like to dream my troubles all away on a bed of California stars. Jump from my star bed, make another day underneath my California stars. They hang like grapes on vines that shine, 
and warm the lover's glass like friendly wine. So I'd give this world just to dream a dream of you on our bed of California stars. And then just end, so I'd give this world just to dream a dream of you on our bed of California stars. There's repetition in there. But that is a song that can be that was written, had to have been written in the 1970s by the Birds or, uh, I don't know, Neil Young. Mm. I don't know. But the fact is, lyrically at least, it was written by Woody Guthrie sometime between 1940 and 1960, long before people were writing lyrics, that sort of lyric. It's a rock and roll lyric from the 70s or the 80s or the fucking 90s when I heard it. you know. But it is in no way... When I heard that song, I just thought it was... I'd somehow missed it on one of the Wilco albums. I, I, which I didn't understand because I had both their records and I thought maybe it's a single. And then I realized that was the first thing I heard. You know, before, you, before you knew they were doing this project. Well, I had known they were doing the project, but I didn't know that's what it was. I heard it. I see. And I realized it's from that and I was stunned by the fact that that is a Woody Guthrie song. And I, I just wanted to play it really badly. And so we did. We played it a lot over... I remember we were ending this tour with these shows. I don't remember when it was now, but uh, we played it a lot that Christmas. These shows in San Francisco and L.A. We played a bunch of Christmas shows one year, and we played that song in the encores. And uh, I think we should end the show with it tonight. It's about that time to end the show. So this is uh, from Billy Bragg and Wilco, the first Mermaid Avenue record. This is California Stars. Peace. Late. to rest. 